right, welcome to Desk Talk with Trent Werner and Alex Magala. I'm Trent Werner. And I'm Alex Magala. A little bit about me. I'm from Portland, Oregon, born and raised. I'm currently a Oregon and Washington real estate broker with Uptown Properties. And we're starting Desk Talk to provide a platform for people to share their passions in the real estate industry and we can hear more about their experiences. I was born and raised in Reno, Nevada. I pursued baseball and that's what brought me to Oregon. I played for Oregon State for a couple of years, but ended up getting injured and retired. And now I currently serve as a mortgage loan officer in Oregon, Washington, and Nevada. The reason why I'm here to start this podcast is to offer free education and tips on real estate investing instead of those paid mentors that you find online. And also to answer questions that always seem to go unanswered that you can't find that answer for, well, we're here for that. Then the last piece as to why I'm here is to produce long-form content for you as the listener so that you can apply it to your daily life instead of it being limited to 140 characters or snippets of a video. All right, so that's a little bit about us, and now we're going to talk about why we think real estate is the best long-term investment for you. There's a reason why every successful investor has real estate in their portfolio. It is a tangible way to accumulate wealth in a fixed asset. Yeah, Alex, I totally agree with that. I think the one percenters, as they're called, definitely have a interest in real estate just because of all the benefits that you get when you own real estate. We kind of want to talk about today is some of those benefits that you get when you own real estate and how you can start taking advantage of those benefits at an early age so you can ride the train long into retirement and hopefully for the rest of your life. So Alex, I got a question for you. Why do you think real estate is the best investment long term? It's a good question. I'd say Probably my three biggest points I'd make is, you know, the capital appreciation in your home, being able to leverage your mortgage. And then the last piece is, you know, the benefit of having a hard asset. Of course, I'll dive into depth about all of those. But for right now, those are kind of my three points as to why I believe it's the best long term investment. But what about you, Trent? I think owning real estate is a great way to appreciate an asset that, like you said, is tangible. It's not a bunch of tickers on a screen and it's not an account that you fund through your employer. You can control the asset. You can force appreciation if a property is run down. You can increase rents if it's a rental property and bring them up to market if it's a non-stabilized property. And you can also defer taxes on real estate, which is something that you can't do in, I don't think, any other investment asset. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. It's big. So like we were just talking about, Appreciation is one of the big things with any asset, because if it doesn't appreciate, then how awesome is it? Uh, What are some of the capital appreciation? Yeah, totally. So capital appreciation in your home, if you own a home instead of renting, then you yourself are benefiting from the capital appreciation of your property. It is said that real estate is one of the best performing asset classes ever, as the steady growth in the price of a property across the U.S. means that people benefit from the wealth effect created by an ever-increasing property market. Currently across the United States, and definitely here in Oregon, we are suffering from a shortage of housing. Investing in real estate is a prudent long-term investment strategy, no matter where you live. If you're purchasing a home, or you already own one, then you'll benefit from the rising housing market. Real estate may not be able to compare to risky assets like stocks in terms of growth, however, it is still provided a stable return of more than 5% annually for the last 30 years. I think that's a key point to stop and talk about a little bit more, is that Five percent annually. Most people, years. yeah, most people think, oh, real estate's cool. My house is going to appreciate three percent. It'll keep up with inflation. But at the same time, they don't understand that if you have an investment property, 
you're getting monthly income, hopefully profit because your expenses are lower than your revenue. Cash flow asset. Yep. But also the appreciation and the tax advantages that come with it because if you can depreciate that investment property, not only are you paying less in taxes, but your appreciation is going to outweigh that depreciation. So it really ends up being five or more percent, right? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think like he was talking about, when you own a home, you're going to ride the appreciation train. Like I always like to talk about the appreciation train is the best train to get a ticket for because your asset is growing just because you own it. I mean, they can't make any more land unless we somehow make it to Mars, but there's no more land here. So if you can own something that's non-renewable, it's not going to go away. Supply and demand. It's a simple economic principle that there's no more land that they can make unless buildings start floating, I guess. But we'll get to that at a later date. Mm. Or you push it to like Dubai where they created their own man island. But again, there's money there involved with it. Mm -hmm. How do I get started in investing in real estate? I mean, from your experiences working with your clients, do you think buying a home for yourself to live in is an investment? Or is buying a rental property the only type of investing that you can do in real estate? No, so that's a great question. I mean, it also comes to a point of if I'm talking to someone that's 22, 23, ready to invest in their first property, then we're going to gear the question or the kind of the mortgages in a route of, okay, you're going to buy your first home, you're going to live in it, you're going to move out of it, turn that one into a rental property, you're buying your next home, move out of it, turn it into a rental property. So it's like the process of just upgrading, but using your equity to upgrade into bigger homes and turning the other ones into cash flow assets. Now, if you're a little bit older and you're coming to see me and you're, you're talking about buying your first home, then yeah, we can talk about doing that same strategy, but there might be other strategies that you could implore. Like, you know, for example, going out and maybe getting a triplex and you live in one of the sides and the other two are rented out and you're making money on that piece of things. There's tons of strategies that you can kind of explore and dive into, but the two main ones that I would put out there is a young person coming and buying a primary residence and slowly but surely leveraging their mortgage to upgrade and get into bigger homes and turn the older, smaller homes into investment properties. Yeah. And and a little bit more about that is when you buy a single family home that you're living in, technically on a balance sheet, it would be called a liability, right? Because it's not producing any income, but you're still going to get the appreciation for as long as you stay in that property. At the same time, like you're talking about, once you turn that into a rental, then it goes from a liability to an asset and you can just keep adding units that way. Yeah, I mean, you're firsthand in knowing this. I mean, explain to the audience what you did with your first home and, and why you did that. Yeah, my wife and I, we bought a duplex as our first property purchase because, like I was talking about, when you buy a single family home, it's a liability. Our investment in a duplex is technically still a liability because we have a monthly payment, but we're having a second unit pay over half of our monthly mortgage expense to offset our costs. So instead of buying a normal house, we have someone helping pay off our loan while we live there. And then when we move out, it becomes an asset and we'll cash flow off that property. So that was why we decided to buy a duplex as a first purchase instead of a single family house. And the big reason probably push behind it too, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's to stop throwing away money with rent, right? The renting market here in Portland and and investing in a property, they're fairly similar. I mean, I see a lot of people out there with $1,700 a month rental fee Payment. or whatever you want to call it. And there's people out there getting the same mortgage 
for a home that they're building their wealth through. It just kind of goes hand in hand, and it's a no-brainer to me why people don't. Yeah, I mean, firsthand here in Portland, I work with a property management company, so I know what rents are around town. And if you want to live downtown, you're looking at $1,700 a month for a 460-square-foot studio apartment. I mean, you could buy a duplex and pay $1,400 a month for your half of the mortgage payment, and you own the place. You're increasing an asset, and your asset is appreciating because you decided that you don't have to live where everyone else is living. You saved up money, you took the plunge, and you invested in your future, and you're going to end up paying less out of your pocket every month than someone that wants to rent a studio apartment downtown. Well, and the big point, too, is it's yours. Like You can do what you want. There's no property manager that's going to come around and say, you know, the holes in the walls are too big or no barking, no loud noises after 9 p.m. It's, it's you've got all the power in the world. It's your property at this point. You have control over it. You're not at the mercy of someone else that is allowing you to stay at their house. You're staying at your own house. I kind of want to talk a little bit more about the tax advantages that come with owning real estate. I know we, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but when you own an investment property, you can depreciate over the life of the wood and the structure, which for tax purposes is 27 and a half years. Granted, I'm not a CPA, so definitely talk to your, your CPA about this. But from my knowledge, you can depreciate the structure over 27 and a half years, which reduces the amount of taxes you pay now. Granted, there is a recapture tax when you sell that property. But if you do a 1031 exchange, which allows you to move the capital gains from this investment to a larger one, you can defer those taxes indefinitely until you finally liquidate everything and and close out your investment portfolio. Yeah, that's big. And I think you just brought up another big topic that we can discuss here was 1031 exchanges. Explain to me what a 1031 exchange is, Trent. A 1031 exchange is when, like I said, you roll those the capital gains and any gains that you made while owning that property into a larger asset. So there's a bunch of timelines and rules that you got to follow. But if you want to sell an asset and buy a larger one, if you sell that and then within, I think it's 90 days, identify a property and buy that property with those gains, you don't have to pay capital taxes on the sale of your past investment and you can roll those into investing into a new investment that's larger so you can theoretically make more monthly income have a larger asset that's appreciating for you and defer those taxes yeah and i think it also goes to say that we're not experts in these types of fields that we're talking about eventually long term we're going to have someone whose job it is is to do 1031 exchanges every day of their life we're going to have a cpa on here to talk to a cpa about you know things to look for when investing in real estate or ways you can get more taxes, tax write-offs, and et cetera. But this is just the start, and we're bringing up a lot of information. Mm-hmm. The reason that real estate investing is so attractive to me, and I don't know about yourself, but once you do that work initially, it's a fairly easy asset to manage as well. So you're not having to constantly check the markets. You're not having to talk to your stockbroker all the time about what's going on in the news and the politics and the economy. Granted, the economy does play an impact on the home values, but if you have a rental property and you get it leased up and you have four 12-month leases, all you're really having to do for that next year is collect rents and deal with any maintenance issues that comes up. And that really isn't a whole lot of time that you're going to be using on that specific asset. Totally. So would you say in an event that 
you know, someone doesn't have the time to do all those, is there a benefit to having a property manager or property management company take over your investment property to manage for you? Absolutely. I personally have a property manager, even though I work with one, I still use our company's services because there's so many nuances and rules and regulations that you got to follow. And if you don't have the time to research and really understand all those different nuances, you could be in legal trouble. You could not be managing your asset to its full potential. There's a bunch of different negatives that come with not really understanding fully how to manage a property in the most efficient and productive way. So if if you're looking to invest money and not have to use a lot of your time to manage it, the best way to do that is hiring a property manager, making sure they're credible and know what they're doing. And then all you got to do is collect a check every month for them. So it's, if you got a bunch of money. Sounds pretty easy to me. Yeah. I mean, there's, if you hire a property manager, there's nothing you really have to do except for check your bank account every month. Sounds like your money's really working for you in that aspect right there. Yeah. Exactly. You're no longer working for that money. Your asset is now working for you. Which is something that, of course, you know, everyone would want to achieve, I hope. I mean, I don't know why someone wouldn't want to collect monthly income and not have to use a lot of their time. I mean, theoretically... You can offset your job. I mean, if you look at it in theory and say, I'd take home $5,000 a month for my job, but I have two rental properties that bring me an extra $2,500 a month, that's literally half my monthly income. I can now start to either plan my exit strategy for my day-to-day job and look to build more wealth through real estate and cash flow assets. Or I can, you know, keep riding the train that I'm riding and and enjoy my normal day-to-day job and also get a little more income on the side through these rental properties. I mean, there's just tons of ways to make money in real estate field. Yeah. And whenever you hear someone online, all these gurus that you're looking at when you're first doing your research and they say, oh, I retired at 28 through real estate investing. Well, they retired at 28 because their income is more than their expenses on a monthly basis and they understand what their expenses are. They adjust their lifestyle accordingly and they don't have to work. They can live off of the income that they're making from these real estate investments. Considered retired, but at the same time, they're still working. Yeah. They're still doing stuff every day to get to that point where they're making enough money that their expenses are less than their income. Yeah. In your opinion, when you're talking especially to first-time home buyers from the lending aspect are you getting clients are people coming to you and asking you like hey what's the benefit of owning a multifamily versus a single family or are you seeing that a lot of these millennials like us are just kind of taught from a young age that you got to get a good job and buy a house single family house and call it good what's your opinion on that there's definitely that stigma that lies in like our parents generation where i mean the whole it's to the point in the mortgages you'll hear it all the time of you know i got to have my 20% down payment i got to have this i got and it's there's so many myths out there about that i mean you can get into a home with 3% down as a first time home buyer in certain programs so really honestly i mean I do get a lot of questions from people about what's the benefit or why should I do it now and when's the best time and like all these questions and it all points back to there's like really no best time. I couldn't tell you a better time to do it now or later. Whenever you have the chance, you should get into real estate and should invest in real estate. And I mean, the biggest benefit is the fact that you have a hard asset. It's something that you can literally go home and put your hands on and touch every night and be like, I own this home. And same thing as like a gold coin or people that go out and get gold, like they're mining for gold because it's a tangible asset, something they can put their hands on. It's not, 
I'm investing in the Forex stock market and I'm trying to get money. It's just, that's not tangible. They can't put their hands on that and actually see it and feel it and understand the value behind it versus real estate. You go home and you sleep in under a roof every day. Like you're experiencing it firsthand. You can touch it physically. All right. I want to talk about two things that you just said. First one is time. You're never going to be able to time the market perfectly. And if you are, then send me an email and I want to get in touch with you because the market is never perfect. And if you can predict when it will be perfect, then I will be on speed dial for you anytime, (laughs) please. It's always better to get in the game than to wait to get in the game. If you can buy now, the law time value of money says that 10 years from now, a dollar is going to be worth less or more. I don't know how that works, but regardless, your assets can appreciate for 10 years. That's what I'm trying to say. The other thing I want to talk about that you touched on is if you have the ability to own something, you don't have to put 20% down. If it's a single family house or a multifamily property that's four units or less, you can put as little as 3% down, which a lot of people don't know about. I mean, hell, in Oregon, there's even a program out there where you basically can get into the home with putting nothing down but you're taking out a first lien on your property and then you're also taking out a second lien. So your first lien will be at 97% and then your next lien will be at 4%. So you're covering the 3% that you're missing, aka your down payment. And then that 1% covers you know, some closing costs and a little bit of extra things. So that's only in Oregon we have that program active. But in the event, it means you can still get into a home with less than 3% down. So all we're saying is there's options out there. Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons that people don't invest in real estate is because they see all these stigmas where it's like, oh, I got to put 20% down or my credit's too bad or I don't have enough money saved up. Talk with someone, research, try to make it happen. The best thing for you to do is to go out and find a way to make it happen, not immediately count yourself out and say, oh, well, you know, I don't check these boxes. I'm out. I can't do it. But the best thing for you and for your growth and development, especially in real estate and investing for your future, figure out how to make it happen. Just go figure it out. That's the fun. It's part of the process. And it's, when there's I'll tell a you will, right now, a it's way. a lot of fun. Yeah. When I mean, there's I've, a will, there's a way. I like to put it as, you know, like if you think about it, there's people on the streets where they beg for money every day to get their drugs and they're able to do it. So why as an ordinary person out in the world, you can't go out and figure out how to get into a home or how to build wealth or how to set yourself up so you're financially free. I mean, when there's a will, there's a way. You're going to do it. It goes back to like, I mean, gosh, growing up playing sports, it was the you got to succeed more than you want to breathe type of like analogy that you get. And it's it's the same thing when it comes into like real world and wanting to grow and to get big. And you watch all these like celebrities and you envy their life and you're looking at that. And it's just like that's never going to get you to the point that you want to get to. The only way you're going to get there is by actually taking action and doing those things. And the biggest thing is, is, you know, talking to an advisor, to someone like Trent or I, you know, like, I'm not just here to do your mortgage and move on from you. I'm here to advise you. I'm here with your, for life. Like, I'm going to sit there and we're going to make sure you're in the best mortgage possible. We're going to make sure that, you know, if it is a time you get into a home and the interest rates are insanely high, well, we're going to play with it. We're going to eventually do a rate and term refinance. We'll get you back down to the good level. I mean, there's just so many ways you can kind of play the game with mortgages that there's no reason not to look into it. Yeah. And like you were saying, you see all these super successful people and they're out showing off whatever they got or they're trying to help other people learn how to get to where they're at. They didn't get there on a handout. They figured out how to make it happen. They didn't sit back and say, oh, woe is me. I hope something finally turns right. 
all it takes is an opportunity and the best way to find an opportunity is to create one always you got to create your own opportunities in life i mean nothing's going to be handed to you as much as we all hope and dream that you know you're going to walk in and some ceo of some fortune 500 company is going to give you the job that you're going to be making just stellar money it's just it's not going to happen like we got to be more realistic about things and take life for where we're at and not where we are looking at those like celebrities i mean Tell me how many girls want to be Kim K or how many guys want to be, I mean, how do you name any big actor out there? Like people envy their lives, but envying their lives isn't going to get you to their point. The only way to do it is to actually buckle down the shoes and, and grind. I mean, this is kind of with all the Kobe Bryant stuff going on as of late. He said it best. The dream is the journey, not the end result. I mean, once you achieve a goal... Are you just going to stop? Is that it? You're just done? No. The journey is what's fun and what's enjoyable. And that's what every successful person that you see in life, whether it's actors or real estate investors or big time stockbrokers, whatever it is, they don't settle once their goals are hit. That's part of their journey and part of their process just to keep going. And that's just a checkpoint in their journey. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing you can do is those people have goals that are probably so unattainable to some people, but how they get to that point where you might look at it and be like, that's never possible. Well, it is possible. All they did was break it down into thousands and thousands of micro goals that, you know, once they achieve that, oh, what's the next step? Okay, boom, next step, boom, 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 boom. And you slowly move up to where you're closer to your goals. I mean, it's the same thing with business planning. I mean, my 2019 or 2020, when I planned my business this year, you know, I, I took what I wanted to make take home this year. And I broke it down into basically I need to come down how many deals I need a month, how many people I have to talk to to get into my pipeline each month to get those deals. I mean, I broke it down to hard facts that I can look at and hold myself accountable to. There's no other way that those people achieve those high expectations or high dreams they set for themselves without small micro goals. Yeah. And that goes perfectly with real estate investing too, because one of my partners who owns over a hundred units he gave a presentation last month at one of our networking events and he had a 1031 exchange that he was trying to do. He had a time crunch because there's a time period that you have to identify and purchase a property while doing a 1031 exchange. He analyzed over 200 deals before uh, finally finding the one that made sense for him and worked out for his 1031 exchange. 200 deals. Yeah, this, this guy went really, really hard. I mean, when you want something, you're going to do it to the point that you get what you want. I mean, he wanted something that was there back to his investment strategy, you know, the 1% rule or the 2% rule he was talking about. I forget mm -hmm. kind of exactly what it is, but he had this, you know, set standards. He had guidelines that this home had to fall into. And if it didn't fall into that standard or guideline, boom, it's off the list onto the next one. And then mm -hmm. until he found that one, it was a grind every day. He probably sat at his computer and just scoured properties and Got to do what you got to do if you want something, you know? And what he did was he figured out a way to make it happen, plain and simple. I mean, personally, since I want to grow my real estate investing portfolio, I've started analyzing minimum five deals a day. I don't even care if I'm seriously thinking about investing in them. Just to get in the habit and to get practice on analyzing deals, I pick five a day and I run the numbers on them. That way, when a good deal pops up, I can see the variables that I'm looking at when I'm analyzing them and I can get a, a gauge just on the first look. I'm like, okay, well, rents are here, prices here, expenses are probably going to be this. If it makes sense and it's something I'm serious about investing in, I'll know 
that's a deal that I want to dive deeper into. And that's something you're doing because it goes back to, you know, the guy we were just talking about, Trent's mentor, is the fact that, you know, it didn't just come easy for him to be able to sit there and analyze 200 properties in, in a small time frame. I mean, this guy's been doing it for 10 plus years, and he's probably done this way more times than we can even count on our own hands. And he's become proficient at it. It, it, it all starts somewhere. Five a day is trend school. Soon enough, he'll be at 10. Soon enough, it'll be 20 a day. You know, you got to start small. Start somewhere. Don't give yourself, I'm going to start searching 30 properties a day. Like, yeah, right. I mean, even the best of the best can't do that. Like, it, it goes to show, like, you grind and you get better at what you do and you become proficient. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's a numbers game. Any successful businessman will tell you that it's a numbers game. If you're in sales, it's how many people you're talking to each day. If you're in, in as an investor, it's how many deals can you analyze before you find the right deal to invest in. And so like he was saying, Alex was saying, start with realistic goals. You don't have to come in and be like, oh, I want to get into real estate investing. I'm going to analyze 100 properties a week. And then in six months, I'm going to buy one. Well, maybe you do because you have the money and you find a good deal. But if you don't, don't let that discourage you. Don't stop analyzing deals. Don't not invest in real estate just because you can't find one in your market. Go look at other markets. Go look at different states. Go do something. Find a partner to make these bigger deals happen. Do whatever you got to do to make it happen. But if you're serious about investing in real estate, you're going to figure out a way to do it. And I know I've said that a lot, but that's just the truth. This is just the way of life, dude, in general. I mean, if you want to succeed, you're going to find a way to succeed. If you're not, then... I'm sorry, but you're probably not going to be that successful. I mean, granted, there still will be those people out there that put in zero effort and somehow they're still successful, but it's a unicorn is what I like to call them. You know, those are foreign, very foreign. And the reason we're talking about this is because we want you to understand that in order to start real estate investing, if you're a new investor or if, you know, you have a couple properties and you're trying to grow your game, you got to be educated you got to understand the game itself so you can play at your highest level. Yeah, and that that's big. That could bring me into like another big topic I can talk about is playing that game. You know, if you own a couple properties here and there, there's playing the game of leveraging your mortgage. And in our world, you know, if you're intending to hold this property for long term, then eventually you're going to reach a point where you pay off a significant portion of your mortgage on your home. This is what we call equity. You know, as a lender or a bank, we let you borrow off of this equity in your home. For example, you know, if you paid $200,000 for a home and over five years you've paid off 50000 of that mortgage, you now have $50,000 worth of equity in your property. Now, if that same property market increase over the five-year period shows that your home is now worth $250,000, well, now you have $100,000 in equity that you can borrow money against. Having an increase in property price and equity means you now have leverage. You can leverage that equity in your home to purchase other investments and grow your wealth. That 100000 of equity can be used as a down payment for another property that could be rented out to tenants. And I mean, let me tell you, $100,000, that could get you a long way. So you could probably even split that up into two $50,000 segments and buy two rental properties with that. There's well, just a way of playing a game. I don't know if you can do that in, in Oregon, but... In some of those True. markets that, that I hear of online where there's you're, ways you're buying houses for fifteen grand. I yeah, mean like could, Texas you, yeah big I, time. You're you're talking mansion, five bedroom, four bath, private, one point three mile racetrack. I, the only reason I know this is I was in Austin two weekends ago <laughs> and I was like, I just want to look up properties here. 
This dude was selling his home for $545,000, and it was five-bedroom, four-bath, and it had a 1.3-mile racetrack in the backyard. And I equate that to Portland, and you would probably get a, some You're getting house a three-bedroom, two-bath house <laughs> in the suburbs. I mean, it's plain like and nothing. simple. Yeah, it's just nothing. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy to me. But the reason Alex is looking up investment properties while he's in Austin, Texas on a vacation is because he wants to do this. You know, if Austin's a better place to invest because your money goes farther there, analyze deal. I did the same thing when I was in Dallas. I went to Dallas for a wedding and I'm literally the first thing I did when I got there was properties. I wonder if I could buy a place here because real estate is cheaper here. What I do, I analyzed 15 deals when I was there for a weekend. I was there for my buddy's wedding and I'm talking real estate at the wedding. I felt kind of bad about it, but. Yeah, I was literally (laughs) there to see a friend that had moved to Austin, Texas and I hadn't talked to in a while. And. All of a sudden, I'm sitting here talking with, you know, home builders in the area about what they do, what the average price of a home that they sell or that they build, custom building down there. I mean, oh my gosh, you can get a custom built home for like $250,000. And so I'm sitting here like, why not? Why not? Why not do it? I mean, every big company is eventually going to have a hub in Austin, Texas or Dallas, Texas. It's Mm going to be a thing. I mean, people are moving there. So why not invest in real estate there and have a property that's going to appreciate? Quickly. And and everything's bigger in Texas, so like you that's said, that's true. <laughs> you can you could take two hundred fifty grand and build something huge. Yeah, I mean, I know my physical therapist here in Portland, Oregon, has a buddy who lived up in Washington and decided to move to like Louisiana or Georgia or something like that. And the guy was barely getting by on rent up here in this area at like seventeen or eighteen hundred dollars. And the dude owns now like three acres, and he had a custom built home. It's like six bedrooms or whatever. It's just insane and. So the fact of the matter is that guy thought he would never be able to live in a property and he just moved across the country and now he owns a mansion in some people's eyes. I mean, from us working in Portland, Oregon and and understanding the market, even though we have a pretty competitive and high price market, it doesn't even compare to California or New York or Chicago. I've talked with people that are moving up here from California and they're telling me they're selling their 1,100 square foot house for 1.4 down there. They can come up here and buy a 2,500 square foot house, cash, and still be and chilling, s- and still have money in the bank after their sale. I mean, it's all relative to your market and you know the areas that you live in. But like you're talking about, if you're in a position where you can't make it work where you're at, do something about it. Yeah, I mean, dude, I know a guy who's from San Francisco and he was renting a one bedroom. It's like a studio, not even a bedroom. It's like literally a 400 and some odd square foot studio in San Francisco. And it was $2,200 a month. And that's not including his parking. If he wanted parking, it was like an extra four or $500. That guy actually moved up to the beach up here in Oregon and he sold that little studio that he had and with the sale of him selling that studio he was able to buy a piece of land up here cash and he was able to factor out flights back to san francisco and a place to stay was more cost effective to live in oregon and do that than live in san francisco and like not build his wealth so this dude literally moved his life from san francisco to oregon and then hops on a plane every single Monday to fly down to San Francisco and then flies back on like a Friday to Oregon to be with his wife. So it goes <laughs> to say like crazy. you can do something about it. There's there's no way you can't do something. I think I want to hit on one more thing before we wrap it up. Leveraging real estate is another huge benefit that comes with owning real estate. 
I know there's a bunch of different investment strategies out there and being able to leverage your asset while still maintaining control of it so you can buy another one is something that real estate has that some other assets don't have. I mean, I'd say a lot of other assets don't have that. Yeah. And being able to do a cash out refi or, you know, pull that equity out of your, say you lived in a house for 20 years and yeah, you're like, oh, I'm only 10 years away from paying this thing off, but I have 400 grand tied up in this asset. You can do a cash out refi. You don't have to pull all 400 out, but if you pulled 200 grand out and you take that and buy an investment property, that monthly income is going to then offset your new loan payment. And yeah, I know it's going to be, oh, now I got 30 years to pay it off, but you got income and you got an asset working for you now. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people that fall into the trap of, you know, once you achieve that dream of buying a home, they think that's just the end game is to just buy a home and be done. But, you know, we're talking on our side, it's more inclined that you should buy that home and then look to, you know, not just sit on all this cash that's wrapped up in your house. It's like, use that cash, use that cash to leverage, whether that's, you know, you want to invest in a business that your friend's starting and you think there's going to be a good return there. Totally. You can pull that cash out to invest in that business. It doesn't have to be to invest in another property. You can use that cash to better yourself in so many different situations. You could take a trip to Tahiti with that cash for all I care. You can do whatever you want. It's your money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's your money that's sitting there. I mean, there's so many strategies and my parents are probably the number one people that I saw this from is using your home as kind of a bigger bank account. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't realize it until now that I'm sitting in this mortgage world. That's what they did. But, you know, going on a vacation once a summer, it was always like, oh, okay, like this is odd. Home or equity line of credit. buying, you know, new RV. It was like my parents just bought a brand new RV. And, you know, what did you know is they financed it through their house pretty much because it's a better rate. And so it's like if you have a lot of credit card debt, if you've got a couple cars you're trying to pay off, I mean, and you've got equity in your home, you can use that equity to pay off those high interest assets that you own and, and bring them in. Yeah, liabilities. Bring them into your home. And so it's under a smaller, you know, it's a more manageable payment. It's basically you're using your home equity to consolidate debt. You pay off one thing and you're going to tie it up into this appreciating asset that, Mm -hmm. you know, if you can stay there for 10, 15 more years, you're most likely going to see that money again just through appreciation itself. Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, talk about it too. If you're going to talk to a lender and you're talking refinance, you're talking cash out, I mean, you should understand that that lender should be able to show you when the return is going to pay off, when it's going to become positive for you. Because obviously it's going to cost you to refinance. You know, you're going to have to pay closing costs. You're going to have to do that stuff. But have your lender break down when that, you know, five years, it's going to be profitable. So it'll be worth refinancing because you're going to be in your home for another 10 years. It's like those questions to ask or those things to bring up are important when talking with your lender. Because, you know, if I don't know that you plan to move from your home in two years, then honestly, putting you in a 30-year fixed is probably not the best option. If you're going to move from your home, then let's put you in an arm so you have the lowest interest rate possible. And then once you move, we can talk about, you know, if you're going to turn an investment property. There's so many ways to do it is all I'm getting around. And and there's just so many things to do. Trent, I've got to kind of wrap it up and finalize this. The biggest question that I get from people is, should I use a real estate agent to help me purchase investment homes? Can I answer that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. Oh, you want me to elaborate? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, definitely, definitely. If you're not a professional, if you're not experienced, if you don't know the market inside and out, talk with someone that's in the market every single day. It's their job. 
Like it's my job to watch the market too. So that's when like people are trying to look online and get all this information online. It's like you're gonna fall into some ad trap nowadays. I mean, everything mm-hmm. is so driven behind advertising through Google, through Facebook, and the second you type into Google, like, what are mortgage rates today? It's like, here you go. You're gonna get calls from 30, 40 lenders, or what's the real estate market look like in 10 years? Like, it's never gonna give you the right answer. It's just gonna be an advertisement. And so that's where talking with a professional, someone who does this as their job every day and pays attention to that stuff, could play a huge role in helping you out in the long run. If Someone gave you a hundred thousand dollars and told you you had to put it in the stock market. Would you take that hundred thousand dollars and invest it yourself just so you didn't have to pay a stockbroker their fee, or would you trust the professionals to make the most money possible for you and pay them the one percent fee? I'd pay the one percent fee absolutely any day. It and goes. It, it goes to show. Like I mean, it's the same thing. The analogy that I like to use is like, you know, it's your financial health and your health on the line. And when you're talking health, if you've got some brain issue, like you're not going to go online and punch into Google, like how to solve my brain issue, blah, 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 blah. blah. (laughs) I've got brain cancer. Who's going to help me out? Like, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to go consult a doctor who knows what the hell they're talking about. Same thing with mortgages. Like you can't just go online or real estate. You can't go online and just type in Google and and hope you get those answers. You're going to talk to someone that's professional. I mean, if it's your financial health, when we're talking to mortgage, it's probably your biggest debt that you have out there. Why not let someone manage that asset for you or that debt for you? I think doing the initial research yourself online is a great way to understand it more and wrap your head around it. But when it comes down to it and you're going to make a big decision, a big financial decision for you know, your future for the next 30 years and more, you got to understand that passing that responsibility over to someone that has your best interest in mind is going to benefit you in the long run. I mean, if you're going to invest in real estate and you've never done it before, talk with someone that's done it before. Talk with a realtor that is a real estate investor, understands the market that you want to invest in, and knows what a good deal is, how to structure the offer, how to negotiate the terms and conditions with the seller so you're getting the best deal possible because you make your money when you buy the place. If you overpay for the property, it's a lot harder to get that asset to function at its highest or where you, where you thought it would be, you know, like yeah. you got into this home thinking that you're going to be in this position to, and you've punched the numbers, you've done all the research, you've figured it out, you know, like going back to what we were talking about, this is one of your 200 properties that you just figured out was going to be a great investment property. And Oh no, Joe Schmo, Mr. Realtor ended up screwing me and not getting me the best deal. And you ended up paying like 10,000, 15,000 more than you wanted. Well, crap, that $15,000 takes quite a while to recoup and if you're not with the right person then ultimately you might get screwed in the long run is kind of frankly put it and i know as a realtor and as a lender your main focus is the client's best interest unfortunately not everyone is like that some people are in it for themselves as hard as that is to believe but when you're ready to take that plunge be sure that you talk with multiple agents Talk with multiple lenders. Find who's going to work for you the best. And the keywords there are for you, not with you. Yeah, for you. Because if if they're working with you, their end goal is to get paid. If they're working for you, their end goal is to get you the best deal possible. That's just, I mean, that's from personal experience. I've dealt with that myself. And I don't want anyone else to have to deal with that because at the end of the day, it's going to sting. It's going to take time to recover if you get 
screwed on your first deal or your third deal. I think that's a big topic we can bring up in a later episode is, you know, the right questions as you, the audience member, can ask Trent or I so that, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're going out and you're trying to interview to figure out who, what loan officer, what, you know, what company you're going to go with, yada, 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 whatever it may be, like, we'll come out with an episode where it's the questions that you need to ask, like, absolutely 1000% need to ask. And it's basically, you're interviewing someone to help you find one, a home, and then two, to basically write you your largest debt that you have. So why not put a ton of time into figuring out who those best people are going to be for you? It's common. It's common sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's extremely true. And I'm glad you touched on that, especially because if you have a bad experience on your first one, what are the chances that you're going to do it again? Slim to none. I'll tell you that right now. I met with someone probably six months ago and I was talking to him about it. And I said, hey, have you have you ever invested in real estate before? And they looked me straight in the eye and they go, no. Well, there was one time. And I go immediately thought to myself, uh-oh. He told me this whole story about his friend or whoever this guy was to him. Told him, hey, this is the deal of the lifetime. You got to get into it. And ended up losing like 100 grand of their own money on it because they had all this stuff wrapped up in the deal. They thought it was all good to go. And boom, the guy bolted on him and stole $100,000 from him. And I hate hearing those stories because there's ways to avoid it. I mean, first off, our, our industry is hammered with so much negative stuff. I mean, God, I cannot tell you how mad my parents were when I first told them that I was getting into mortgages. I mean, because growing up, mortgages to them were these like sleazy dudes who were just slinging it to make money and get around it. Like that was pre-2008. You're talking post-2008. Now, it's not as easy to get into the mortgage world. It's not as easy to get in the real estate world. You got to be licensed. You got to go through all these tests. You got to make sure that, you know, you're in it for the right reasons. You're not in it for the money or for this. You're in it for the people. And I mean, that's what we're here for. I, I personally get the biggest like high from when I help someone out or I assist them through the process and they get like a reward or they get like the high from it. You know, like I feed off of someone else being successful through my efforts of helping them. Exactly. I mean, people helping other people is one of the best feelings that you can ever have. And I feel like we're in it for the right reasons. We're not in it to get rich. We're in it to help our clients have the best future set up for themselves as possible. So, Yeah, I mean, I can tell you I'll be here for 30 plus years in the mortgage industry. And if you want to quote me on it, look up my LinkedIn in 30 years. It'll still say that I'm in the mortgage industry. Alex, all right, we're going to wrap it up. Where can people find you on socials? Is there a website? What are we talking? How do people get connected with you? Yeah, so I've got a website. It's Alex Magala, S-M-A-G-A-L-A.com. So many helpful tools and stuff online there to click around, play with it. I'm on Instagram as well and Facebook. My Instagram is just Alex S Mortgages. Try and post, you know, a couple times a week. But the biggest thing that I do is I post on Mondays a market update. So if you're into the market and you want to follow along, it's a quick little snippet so you don't have to do the research. Then go follow my Instagram and it'll be right there for you. Yeah, we'll put all this in the show notes. What about you, Trent? Where can we find you? TrentWerner.com, T-R-E-N-T-W-E-R-N-E-R.com. And Instagram is Realtor, R-E-A-L-T-O-R-T-J-W. And yeah. Thank you for coming to our first desk talk podcast. It was fun. I enjoyed this. Yeah, I'm glad we sat down and for many episodes to come, I'm excited to see where we go. And thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I know from Alex and I, 
we had a great time and we're looking forward to do it again. Yeah, we really thank you guys for listening. If you don't mind, leave us a nice rating on iTunes for us so we can kind of get up there. And then the biggest thing that I want to push out there is every so often we're going to start to do these kind of table talk Fridays or whatever the day is, but we're going to take questions from you guys, the audience, and we're going to just sit around a table of Trent and I or some individuals. We'll we'll try and make it so it's more industry like opened up to other types of you know insurance cpas that type of stuff we'll have a table talk with them and we'll just answer your guys's questions and that's the biggest thing that's why we're here you know to answer those questions where you can't find an answer for exactly all right stay tuned thank you so much for listening again and we'll see you next week <laughs>